Shift M podcast, episode 17. It's just me in the studio. My name is Igor Bogayenko. Uh, the subject is going to be educational, as usually, when there are no guests here. And uh, I, will, I wanted to talk about scope management. That was my original idea. And then I uh, remembered that I recently just wrote an article about that, about microtasking, uh, microtasking on the blog. And I had a presentation uh, just five days ago in Riga in the DevTernity conference, also about microtasking. So I decided to put all of this together and, um, and discuss scope management from the perspective of microtasking. And actually, I wanted to give the title for today's session, um, uh, which, is, which sounds like why and when microtasking doesn't work. Because I didn't mention that in the blog post, I didn't say about that in the presentation in Riga, and that's going to be something new. So I will summarize when I think microtasking doesn't work, when it's not applicable, and what could be the, the, uh, the, um, the most typical obstacles you may have if you decide to go for microtasking. So let's start first from uh, what it is, the microtasking. Well, first of all, what is scope management? I have to say a few words about that. So you definitely know that scope is something that the project has to complete in order to be called. In order to be called complete, it, uh, the scope is something the project has to complete in order to be called uh, complete. <laughs> That's what I wanted to say. So uh, when we start a project, we, we know something which we need to do. That's called scope, but it, in usually, usually it's quite vague, so we don't know exactly what needs to be done. We just know in general there has to be some mobile application or it has to be some, uh, I don't know, we're going to build a house or we're going to develop a, a new CMS system, something like that. It's a pretty vague and high-level definition of scope. Then what the PMBOK is telling us to do is that we need to go into uh, collecting of requirements. So we need to understand what it is in the scope. So we need to collect information from our customers, from the clients, and from ourselves, and from all other stakeholders uh, who are involved in the project, who actually wants this result to be completed. So we need to collect requirements and put them somewhere in writing. Somebody calls them software requirements specification called SRS. Somebody calls it just user stories. It doesn't really matter. You just need to understand. We need to understand what needs to be done. Then we uh, define a scope. And actually, this collecting requirements, uh, the collecting requirements usually means requirements for the product. So you know the difference between the product and the project. The product is something tangible which we create. It could be a piece of software, it could be a house, it could be, a, I don't know, building a road. So it's something which, is, which we need to produce some result. And it's tangible, meaning that it, it has a status complete, done, or not complete. And the project is something bigger. The project is uh, our activity which stays around that product. So the project is what we do in order to produce the product. So there's two different things. The project is way bigger, the product is something smaller. So uh, according to PMBOK, a project usually always produces one product. While in real life, we may have a project which produces a number of products, and we also may have a product which is created by a number of projects. So let's say it's a house, and then we need a number of projects like building a house, and then painting the house, and then furnishing the house, 
So there's going to be different projects producing, you know, in contributing to the, to, to the same product. So what, what my point now is that it's important to understand that there are two different things, the product and the project. So when we collect requirements, we usually collect requirements for the product. So what our software has to do, for example, what are the features? And then we define scope, the next step. We define scope. We need to understand the scope for the project. So now we need to understand what activities we need to complete in order for that software to be created. So to create our software, we need to, to write some code. We need to write some tests. We need to do some manual testing. We need to do some deployment. We need to do some probably architecturing activity. We need to draw some diagrams and make some high-level decisions. We need to do some design decisions. We probably need to write some documentation. We most probably need to do some packaging and shipment of this product. So we need, that's going to be the scope of the project. We need to define all that uh, activities. And uh, the things I just listed, I, I got them from one of the quite popular frameworks uh, for software development, which, which many companies use, and I would actually recommend you to take a look at it. It's called Rational Unified Process. It's quite old. It's coming from a company called Rational, and then it was IBM, and I don't know what it is now. I think it's IBM. So it's, um, it's a Rational Unified Process called RUP, R-U-P, uh, defines nine key uh, activity uh, areas uh, of what needs to be done in order to complete any software product. So if you read it, there will be all the definitions of the documents that need to be pr produced, all the activities need to be completed, all the roles that need to take participation in all that, like a, the, the architect, the word architect, designer, tester, developer, they're all going to be mentioned there. So you will know basically everything that needs to be done in order to create the product. So that's going to be high-level scope definition, still high-level, <clears throat> because there will be like deploy, develop, test, write code, just a number of uh, things in the list, but the list will be still going to be quite short. It's going to be like one page. But the project will take like three months or four months or nine months or a year. It can be just, you know, nine items there. It, they will be too, too big. That, that, that uh, work packages, they will be too big to be manageable. And that's why the next step is to create a so-called uh, work breakdown structure. This is the term coming from PMBOK. Uh, in short, it's WBS, work breakdown structure. And it is supposed to break down our work packages, which are quite big, like I just said, write some Java code and then deploy it to production. They're too big. Uh, work packages, but we need to break it down into smaller pieces. So the work breakdown structure does that job. It, it breaks it down into, I don't know, 10 or 20 or 100 or 1,000 smaller items, which then have to be assigned to uh, implementers, people who will actually implement that, um, that works, that jobs, whatever, the tasks. Um, and when it's done, so you have the scope, and then we start the project. And then we do all other things which needs to be done outside of the scope, scope management area. And while, it's, while the project is going forward, we need to regularly uh, check whether the scope we understand now 
is actually the scope we need to complete. It's called validate scope uh, uh, process, according to PMBOK. So we need to validate whether we are still doing what needs to be done. So we need to regularly check whether we still need the testing or do we still need to deploy that stuff or do we still developing uh, the right features for the customer. So we kind of, kind of uh, uh, resynchronize ourselves with the requirements we collected. So we look at the requirements, we talk to our customers and we make sure that we're on the same page. They still need that and we're still developing what they need. Pay attention, we're not testing here, we're validating scope. There are two different things again, uh, validating and verifying. It's a quite famous term called verification and validation, V and V. You, you will see the link uh, in the in the show notes, let me record myself that I need to give this link. I need to give you the link for the rational unified process for the PMBOK, obviously. Uh, so VM, V and V is something uh, which is really important to understand for the uh, uh, for this uh, scope question and for the testing. So verification is when you're looking at the product and you're trying to break it in order to find bugs basically so verification is basically testing it's it's checking whether the product works as it's expected to work while validation is checking that this is the product customers need so let's say the customer said that they want the calculator and we are developing the washing machine and then the testers comes in and they start washing things, you know, and they say, yeah, it's a, it's a great washing machine. We tested it. We found a number of bugs, but overall it's nothing critical. But the customer wants the calculator. The testers will not be able to, to find that. They will not be able to, uh, to find that problem. They will still say that our job is to work with the washing machine. We have that product in front of us. We're, we're trying to break it. We have some documentation for it which was created by programmers, it washes things perfectly all right. But then other people who are responsible for scope validation, they come in, they take the washing machine, they bring it to the customer and say, is it the calculator you wanted? And then the customer will say, no, that's not, not exactly what we're looking for. We need a calculator. And that's going to be a different kind of bugs and different kind of problems. So verification is what the testers are doing. Validation is what the usually like system analysts or maybe a project manager uh, are supposed to do. Like re, re, uh, re-syncing with the customer that that is what they actually want. So that basic, that's basically it. That's what I wanted to say about scope management. And now we're getting to the micromanagement problem. That's the second point I want to make. And I wrote an article about that last year. Uh, you probably know, you definitely know that term called micromanagement. Micromanagement is kind of a, a big problem for the management area um, that happens everywhere. The symptoms of that problem is, uh, <clears throat> is that uh, is the manager who is constantly checking what are, what are the people doing. So if you're the programmer and the manager is asking you, what are you doing? Uh, can you change? What you, can you stop doing that? Can you start doing this? Uh, can you tell me exactly what's going on? Uh, can you uh, uh, do that in this way? So the, the, the manager who is directing you and, uh, 
and telling not about telling you what to do but directing you in a way that uh, that is annoying and I'll explain now why it's annoying uh, what happens is that why micro let, let me first start with why it happens and then we'll we'll see the symptoms again so what happens is, is what happens is that uh, you're getting a task which usually is quite big for example a task may sound like uh, implement feature a so that's your job so there's a new feature in the mobile app which is for example i don't know photograph sharing so there is your task implement the photograph sharing feature it's quite a big task it will may it may require a few weeks of work it may require a few hours a few maybe dozens of hours of communication with the customer and communication with some some users and some testing team and then a number of deployments and then a number of experiments and prototype it's a lot of work and and that is the whole task which which is thrown on your head and then the manager starts to manage you because that's the job manager has to do so the manager shows up and the only thing the manager can do is start asking you what's going on like where are you in this task are you just in the beginning or you're somewhere in the middle or you're just finishing so the manager needs to have some information in order to report something to the to the to the higher management and to get that information from you the manager has to know what exactly are you doing what is your internal situation of the task so even though the task sounds like you, Jeff, has to do the, the, the photo sharing task, in reality it means, hey Jeff, sit down now in front of your computer and start doing the photo sharing task. And stop when I tell you to stop. And then if it's a lunchtime, you stop. And if it's the end of the day, you stop. And if somebody asks you to do something else, you do something else. So you're, in this case, acting like a tool in the hands of a manager not like an independent uh self uh, sufficient i don't know self-responsible person who is taking the task in 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 their hands and just doing it completing it and reporting it's done or reporting it's not done but the person who is doing what the manager says and that's why it's annoying that's what it's annoying so the the, the key symptom of micromanagement is that you don't like your work if you you don't feel you don't feel like the management trusts you. You don't feel like the manager, the management uh, feels you as a professional. The manager treats you as a professional. You're always going to feel, you have a feeling that you are uh, just a tool in someone's hands. For some people, it's perfectly all right. For some people. But for majority of us, the most of us, no matter how professional we are, no matter how junior we are, it's annoying. It's annoying because it's, you, will, you will spend your nerves, you will always be distracted by somebody, the manager will sit next to you half of your day, and you're not going to grow. You will be as bad programmer or as immature developer as you were before after a year after working under a micromanager. Because all you will need to learn is how to be a good tool in that particular hands. You will just learn your micromanager you will learn their habits their uh, emotions their reactions you will just be a good well i don't like that to keep saying that word but you're going to be a good slave in one particular master's hands which is not going to make you a good developer in general 
So to be a good developer in general, you need tasks where you are responsible for the entire task, for the entire result. And if you're responsible for everything, that will make you a good professional because you will learn how to manage yourself, how to get a task, how to start it from point A, how to move it to point B, how to solve all the problems on this way and everything. So micromanagement is a trouble. It's a big trouble which, you, which we need to do everything to avoid. <clears throat> how? How can we do that? Unfortunately, it's not possible to tell your managers to stop being micromanagers. They are micromanagers not because they are bad and evil people. Not at all. They are just doing that because they have no choice. How else they are supposed to manage you if, if the task is sounds exactly like that? Just develop the photo sharing feature and, and it has to be ready by the end of the year or by the end of the month. So imagine I'm a, I'm a manager. So I, I cannot just give you that task and just sit and wait for a month and then what? Just show up and say, is it ready? And you will tell me no. And then you will give me a list of excuses. I was busy, my mom was sick, and then my friend had a marriage, and then somebody else didn't send me that, that piece of code, and then I tried to deploy it, and the server was down, and then, 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 it's going to be a huge list of excuses, but the task will not be done. And what am I supposed to report to my manager? Like, I, what, I was, what I was doing for a month, I was just sitting and waiting, like, the man, my manager will ask me, what am I paying you for? You, you go and manage that people. So that's all I can do. I can, I can only just go and, and, and sit on your head and keep, you, keep bothering you the whole day. And maybe you will complete. At least you will give me some information. At least I will know something about that. I will know what the progress is. I will see the problems. I will see that the server is down. Or I will see that your friend is getting married. And that's why you're not going to be in the office for the next two days. So I'll find somebody else. Or I don't know. I shift the plans or move the, move the, the, the deadline. Something like that. So the micromanagement is inevitable. It's not, it's not something that people do because they're bad people or whatever. It, it happens automatically for one particular reason, I believe so. And that reason is that the tasks are too big. They're just too big. You cannot manage the big task any other way aside from micromanagement. So in order to solve the problem, we need to go for microtasking. So we need to break down our scope to really small pieces in order to make it manageable. So when the piece of work is small, like I don't know, half a day or two hours, then I'm as a manager, I can perfectly trust that piece of work to you as a programmer and never bother you about anything, never ask you about your progress, never touch you, like never even ask any questions. I just give you the task, I wait for two hours or maybe for a day, and then I ask you, and then you tell me when it's ready. If it's not ready, then I do something with that. But the risk of failure is not going to be too big for me. Because if you fail, then okay, it's a, it's, it's a risk of one day lost. I can deal with that. I can give that task to somebody else. I can, I can reschedule something. I can manage that situation. It is manageable. And if the tasks are really small, like we do, like half an hour size or one hour in size, then it's perfectly manageable. Because I have like a 50 tasks in my, on my list and I know that these five tasks I, I gave to Jeff and that 10 I gave to Mary and that 10 I gave to Sarah and they are working on them. And, and they report to me one by one. So I see that Sarah progress is good, but the Jeffrey progress is not good. 
so I can reschedule somehow. I can take some tasks from Jeff. I can give it to Mary, whatever. So I can, I, it is manageable and I have some work to do as a manager. I'm sitting there, I'm looking at that situation and I manage that situation. I, I, I give some tasks to somebody. I, you know what I mean. So I, I'm, I, I have things to manage. That's how it should be. Again, I wrote an article about micromanagement. I'll give you a link. I wrote an article about microtasking. That was the article I published just two days ago, three days ago. Uh, no, last week, actually. So, uh, <clears throat> so microtasking is a, is a solution. Definitely. In my opinion, that's the only solution. No other solutions can actually help you if you have micromanagement, if you have problems with management. Just go for microtasking. Try to break down the scope into smaller pieces. And now we'll talk about why it may not work for you. What's going to be the problem? Because everything I said before, it was covered already in my articles. You can read it on the blog or listen to some of my presentations before. So now there's a new piece of information. Um, what will go wrong and when microtasking will not work? Point number one. First, it will not work if you don't pay people for completing the tasks. So if you give them the tasks and, and they still keep getting the money by the end of the month, it's not going to work because they will have really small incentive or no incentive to actually complete any tasks. They will, they will do everything else aside from completing your tasks. So you will, in other words, you will give them tasks, you will spend some time on creating that list of tasks, you will give it to them, they will say, great, we love that tasks, and they will keep doing what they were doing before. And then you will start asking, did you complete the tasks? And they will say, we were busy doing something else, we were busy doing something that, that way, we were helping others, we were, we, were, we, had, we were in the meeting, and then the CTO called us and we were talking to them, and then again, my friend got married, so that's why I didn't complete your task. I'm sorry. So you need to have some incentive so you need to give them some, well, I like, the, 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 I like money as an incentive. Well, if you don't like money, assign something else. Give them, uh, you know, cookies. Give them something, something tangible, which they will appreciate when the task is completed. So the task is done, they get it. The task is not done, they don't get it. And it usually has to be always, have to be the zero slash 100 rule. You know that rule that, that from the management. It says that the task is always either complete or not complete. There's nothing in the middle. You cannot say that we, we, we've done 50% or 90% is complete. You don't give the cookie until there is 100% completion. So if you, if you manage to complete it, you get the cookie. If you just tried, if you completed just half of that, just don't get the cookie. And if your tasks are small, that's what some people are complaining about. I've been at the conference and a few people told me that, that, that you're suggesting this micro-tasking and... Uh, and it sounds really uh, aggressive towards programmers. So they work, they spend some time, and then you don't pay them. Nobody's going to like it. That's what they told me. Like, your idea is maybe is okay for you, but for most companies, it's not okay because people are not going to like to work like that. They spend their time, and then they get no money. And I told them, of course, they're not going to like it if the tasks are big. If you give them the task of, like, two days of work, and, and the person, the developer, works for two days, and then the completion is like 50%, so something is done, and then that poor programmer comes to you and say, hey, you know, and says, you know, I, I, I completed like 
whatever I could, but you know, didn't manage to finish it. And you say, okay, you get zero money for your two days of work. Of course, it's going to be quite damaging because you know, two days, it's 10% of the monthly salary. You will just cut the 10% of the monthly salary. It's going to be, uh, it's going to hurt. But if it's just one hour of work or 30 minutes of work, then that developer comes to you and say, hey, I tried that task for 30 minutes. I, I spent like, you know, 25 minutes. It doesn't work for me. I'm sorry. And you say, no problem. You don't get the money. And he says, no, it's all right. It's fine because I'll still get the money for another 10 tasks I do. And it happens to us. It happens to our projects in many cases. People start, they work, they complete. Some of the tasks they don't complete. And if the programmers are quite mature and they know how to, to, to write code, how to work in our system, then they usually complete 90% of their tasks. 10% they don't complete, they fail. But that failure uh, affect them uh, not as much as, uh, not, this failure is not as damaging, it is not as risky for them because they can see it easily, they can, uh, they can manipulate with the small numbers way easier than with big tasks. So if a small task is failure, it's okay, I'm gonna lose like $10. No big deal because I'll still make like a few hundred dollars on, on, on other tasks. So point number one, you need to assign, you need to pay for the results, for the, for the completion of the tasks. How you do it depends on your situation. Pay money, give cookies, whatever. Uh, problem number two, when microtasking is not gonna work, I think that it's not gonna work if people have no passion for, um, for, for their work. So if they're just purely working for, for money, I mean working for, not just for money, but they're working for uh, out, of the, out of need, so they need to work. They don't love to do that, but they just need to do it. Then most probably uh, they, will try to, uh, they will try to sabotage your tasks, I think so. It happened to me, I've seen that. So you give them tasks and they will always try every, some reason to tell you that it's not completable, that it's not possible to do it in that amount of time, and I have other dependencies, I have some impediments, something blocks me, all other things. They just don't like to be challenged, they don't like to uh, face problems, they are used to micromanagement, they, they got lazy already by, the, by, by being micromanagement for, micromanaged for years, and they have no passion for achieving results. That's, that's what I want to say. Not about money, but about achieving results. So they are too lazy, too spoiled by, um, by these monthly salaries, and they are just not interested to, to, to be challenged at all. Because this microtasking, it is challenging. It, is, it, it requires some effort from the, from, the, from the programmer's side. They need to, they will have to, to do something extra in order to start using this microtasking approach. If they are working for a, you know, for a traditional micromanagement way or just no management way, it's also quite popular now, like no management, meaning that we're just, you know, you know what it means. We're just in one big office, we enjoy our lives, we enjoy our salaries, and then maybe we produce something if we are, if we are in a good mood. And if, you know, if, if internet and, and Facebook doesn't work, then we start maybe do something. That's a really popular model as well. It's like no management. And micromanagement is quite, you know, another extreme is when manager is sitting on top of your head and, and, and trying to, uh, you know, uh, abuse you as much as possible so you can, you can do some programming. 
So if people are used to that model, to no management or micromanagement, then it's going to be difficult for them to, to start microtasking, especially if they have no passion, if they just, they just want to get the money and go home. It happened to me many times. The only way I found is just to change people. It's not it, well. It, it didn't. It, it didn't work for me. I tried to convince. I tried to not pay. I tried to punish. I tried to reward. I tried a number of things and and didn't work. If if there is no passion, if the person doesn't like to, you know, doesn't enjoy uh, writing code, doesn't enjoy solving problems, then that's it. It's just not gonna not gonna work. I'm not, I'm not saying that people are bad and good, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, that people have to be like completely scratched out from the, you know, from the list of, of, of friends or whatever. They, they, they may be good people, but they need some different approach, which is outside of scope of this discussion. So you need to think how to take them out of that dark zone of micromanagement and, and, and make them passionate again. They can be. I, I believe, you know, I believe in people in general. I believe that they, anyone can be, uh, can fall in love with what they do. It just depends on the way you present that situation for them. It's just the way you, you, it, it depends on circumstances, depends on the environment. But if you just want to install it, to, to implement microtasking in your team and you have that people, then you better move them out and do something with them later. Somehow, I don't know how, we can discuss it maybe in other pod podcasts. But, but for now, for your specific goal of making microtasking work, get rid of them. Point number three, uh, microtasking will not work if people are allowed to communicate to each other too frequently. So if they sit together in the same room, desk to desk, chair to chair, then I doubt that the microtasking will work because I'll explain why. Because I think that um, they will solve problems uh, faster and uh, outside of the borders of microtasking. So let me let me give an example. So let's say uh, there are two programmers and I give one programmer a task of uh, implement the uh, there has to be a button on the screen which I click and uh, the database gets cleaned up for example I mean the table the databases delete the data from the from the table and another programmer I give another task which says uh, make sure the, the that uh, that that class is covered by the unit test it sounds like in two isolated tasks. Well, when they sit together, they will talk, discuss, and find a way how to solve the two tasks together, spending less effort than they would do working from home, not knowing about each other. So they will optimize their work somehow. The first guy will say, okay, uh, you're gonna write the unit test. How about I write the unit test too, and then give you uh, the database cleaning uh, which will you can implement in your unit test somehow faster. I don't know, but they will optimize it. They will put these two tasks together. They will create a bigger task. They will, from two tasks, they will make one task. So they will bring me back to the micromanagement, to the, to the macro-tasking macro situation. They will uh, naturally, organically combine all tasks in one big, uh, one big ball of tasks. 
and they will roll that ball forward. Of course, there will be progress. Definitely, they will work faster. Definitely, they will achieve results faster than with microtesting, but they will become less manageable. It's going to be no more me in the picture. I, as a manager, will be, uh, will be put aside and they will solve everything. They will, eventually, they will tell me, look, don't bother us. We, we know what's going on. We know what to do. Why do we need you? I mean, come on. We, we, we know about this table cleaning. We know about this unit testing. We already solved that. Don't worry about it. Just tell us where the customer is and we'll show everything to the customer. And it happens. You know, people now call it holacracy and they call it like, like you know, flat organizations when there are no management, like no manager. So the manager is not required. So the team somehow solves the problem by itself. Well, I think it's just chaos. It's not flat organization. It's not holacracy. It's just, it's just chaos. Because if there is no breakdown structure, work breakdown structure, if there are no tasks that eventually that situation will collapse. Initially, it will be okay, initially, when the customers still have still has the money and the team has still has the passion and the team is very motivated and there is not so much legacy code in the, in the code base. So they're so happy, excited, they move forward. But then eventually, it will start to turn into just typical chaos where there is no management. So the manager has to, to control what people are doing. I know many people don't like the word control, but I, I do have to say it. We need to manage and we need to control people. We need to control what they're doing and not in a bad way, not to tell them what to do, but, but give them enough instructions and enough information for the direction to go. They need to know, we need to discipline them. That's maybe the better word. We need to discipline them so that they know exactly which direction to go. If, if, we are, if they're sitting together, if they communicate too much, then they will ruin that discipline really easy and you will not be able to stop them because you cannot just say hey Jeff don't talk to Mary even though your tasks sound similar and they're from the same code base well, it's going to be difficult you just turn your you know you just go to another room and you get back and they're already talking and discussing and it will be difficult to explain them that they need to shut up <laughs> and and get back to the code and work on their tasks it's not going to happen so uh, if, if people talk too much if they sit in the same room then most probably microtasking is not going to work. So it's better to isolate people somehow and to work remotely. That's what I found out. Again, I, it's my experience talking. I tried that. I tried that microtasking in a small team in the same office. That's exactly the problem I faced. That I, I, I gave tasks, I defined them, I spent some time to do that. And then developers just told me like they were just smiling and saying, yeah, we like that tasks, but you know, we solved that problem faster. So we don't need that information from you anymore. Okay, that was three. Now point four, why uh, microtasking, uh, when microtasking is not gonna work. I have eight points in total, so that's point number four. Point number four, it's not gonna work when there is no way to cut corners. That's what I would say, that's how I call it. No way to cut corners. So when people cannot uh, complete the task uh, faster than, uh, than it has to be done. So by practical example, if the task is too big and I have, it's still a micro task, there will be, the, sorry, there will be mistakes in defining micro tasks. It's inevitable. Sometimes you will say it's a micro task, but in reality, it's, it's quite big. So you will say, implement that feature you know i need to click the button and the entire 
table from the database gets cleaned up. It sounds like a small task, like a micro task for me, but when the developer starts working with it, it the developer realizes that, for example, there are no unit tests for this task, for this, for this database operation. And to create a, data, a unit test for a database operations, it's quite a complex task. It will require some integration tasking, some framework for that, some, you know, another, some other activities, some other things that needs to be done, need to be done. And the developer will realize that even though the task is micro for like for one hour, chances to complete it in one hour are very low. It's not possible. So just starting it and then not completing it, what's the point if there's no cookie in the end? So the developer will just say, no, it's too big for me, I'm sorry. And they will, they will start rejecting tasks or they will be very frustrated if you keep pushing tasks to them and still requiring them to complete. They will come back to you in an hour and say, I failed. Okay, you don't give me the cookie. Okay, I'll go find another company. So there should be some way to complete this task, to keep it micro, even though it's not possible to complete it entirely. So how you do that depends on your situation. What we do, we call puzzle-driven development. There are another, a few webinars about it and a few blog posts on my, on my blog, which explains how it works. So this puzzle-driven development, in, in a nutshell, what happens is that when I look at the task and I'm the developer and I know that I need something, something, something to be done before I can actually complete it, and that something will take me two hours, five hours, and six hours, even though I have just one hour for the main task, what I do is that I, I, I move forward a little bit. So I make some progress for my task, and then I put the markers in the source code saying that I cannot complete because, because that UD test is not here, or I cannot complete because this framework doesn't work. So please help me solve that dependencies, and then I will be able to complete. And then I return that to my manager as a completed task. And I say, I've done, I've done the maximum I could. Everything I could, I've done. So I spent one hour, I, I did some, you know, something, but the, the task will be fully completed only when uh, these two or three dependencies will be resolved. And then the manager takes the dependencies and turn them into new tasks. That's how it works. I have an article about uh, cutting corners. Uh, let me give it to you in the, sh in the show notes as well. I have a car article which gives a few other uh, recipes for uh, cutting corners if the task is too big or can't be solved or not enough information. But there has to be some, this, some uh, policy for developers of what to do when they cannot complete the task in time because of the things that are not in, they are not responsible for. So it's not my fault that there is no unit test. It's not my fault that there is no unit testing framework in the project. It's not my fault, for example, that, that I don't know the structure of the database and there is no documentation for it. It's not my fault. So there has to be a, an, an instrument, a, a protocol of what to do, of how to, to act when uh, I'm not guilty but the, the blame is on me. So the task is on me. If I don't complete it, it's gonna take, I'm not going to get the cookie. But it's not my fault because somebody else didn't provide me this, this, and that. There has to be a protocol. I'll give you two articles. Try to read them. Maybe you will do something similar. But if you don't give that, microtesting is not going to work. Point number five. Um, 
I think that microtasking will not work if uh, you apply it too early in the project. Too early. Because when the project just starts, then the project basically doesn't have any quality rules, uh, no quality control, no, nothing, no automation is there yet. Meaning that you cannot let people do microtasking because they will return back the code, which is too bad. Because microtasking is quite stressful, uh, stressful uh, uh, way of managing time. Stressful in a good way. So people are stressed, they are more focused, they produce code of the higher quality, they uh, solve problems in an isolated way, and because of that, with a with higher quality and more attention to them. But, when they re but it also means that they become quite egoistic egoistic while working on them. So they only think about themselves. They're very selfish. They think about themselves only. They want to solve just their problems. They don't care about the entire project, which is a good if the project is strong enough to protect itself against the bad code. So it's really good to have selfish programmers and programmers who care only about their particular results because that programmers are the best programmers. They really can produce the best code. But we need to remember that we need to control what they produce. We need to, uh, to push them back when they bring us some low-quality code. If you don't do that, their selfishness will, will turn into chaos immediately in your project. So you need to protect yourself against that, uh, that people who are really interested in making money and getting those cookies, and they're ready to complete that micro-tasks one by one. Because they will bring you bad code if you don't have quality rules. So when, the, when the, the project just starts, there are no quality rules, there are no unit tests, there are no integration tests, there are nothing. So you can easily break, uh, violate the quality. That's why when we start projects, we don't do micro-testing. We just give some budget to some architects or a number of architects, and they just, their main goal, their main task is to build that uh, quality wall around the project, to protect its, its core from all that wild, wild west programmers around, all these cowboy guys who will just, you know, throw uh, bad code, try to throw bad code into the, into the core project. So when you do it too early, then microtasking is not going to work. Again, my experience talking, I tried that and that's what I saw, like the, what they create is a complete mess, complete total mess, which they, you will just have to throw it away and start from scratch. Because they're cowboys, they don't care about, you know, they, they care about quality for as long as somebody wants that quality. And that's good. That's the right approach. That's what I, that's what I, that's what I keep teaching programmers, that you need to care about quality only if somebody needs that quality. If the project says, hey, there are no unit tests, please implement that feature. So don't write unit tests. Nobody wants that unit test. Just commit the code the way it is and let that be the problem of the project. If the project has unit testing automation, if the project does not allow you to do that, okay, here is the conflict of interest which you resolve by producing higher quality. But if the project doesn't need it, don't do it. Don't waste your time. Don't do gold plating. You don't need that. You don't need to do more than they pay you for. Because it's not, your, it's not you to decide what the project needs. The project needs this and the project told you that like look there are no unit tests it means we don't care about quality just write the way you want it okay just do it or the project says look 
you cannot contribute if you make the, the, the code coverage lower than 80%. We're not going to accept your code. That's a clear message for you from the project. We're not going to pay you if you make our quality lower than it is now. Okay, in that project, you write unit tests. So point number five, I just said, it's too, if it's too early, microtesting is not going to work. Point number six, I think uh, if you work with two young developers, and young in terms of uh, their maturity in, in the programming, they could, be, they could be old or young, doesn't matter. I mean, I'm not talking about the age, I'm talking about their professional level. So if they're immature, if they're too junior, let's put it this word, too junior, then it doesn't work. I tried that many times. It doesn't work. Why? Because they will, they basically make too many failures. Not because they don't have the passion, like the people I mentioned before, but they just don't understand many things and they really need help. They really need some coaching. They need, need some tutoring. So they need some help. And in microtasking environment, nobody's going to help them because everybody's focused on their, on, on, on their own tasks. So these young developers, they'll be try to look around, they'll try to ask questions to everybody. Again, not because they're stupid, because they're just, they just don't know how. They're not professional enough. They don't know how to use Git. They don't know how to uh, use, uh, I don't know, how to write in Java. They don't know what a unit test is. They need all that information. They probably can read some books, but they're maybe too, too busy to do that. I don't know, but they're too young. And they, we need some, that's what I figured in, after years of trying microtasking is that uh, the more professional the programmer is, the easier it is for that person to, to start using microtasking. I tried to work with um, so-called commodity programmers who are like charge $6 an hour. And they say, we can code whatever you want. Just give us the task. No, no prepayment, no down payment. Just try us now. And you try them and you see that it's just, they just turn your project into total chaos. They just start talking in different directions. They start calling your phone. They start texting you about everything. It just, it just not, it just doesn't, it doesn't, they don't produce anything. They don't close tasks. And that's the key problem. We need tasks to be closed. They don't do that. They talk, they communicate, they, they ask questions, they learn. So your project starts to work for them. Not they work for you, but you work for them. You train them, you teach them, you, you, you make them smarter, you make them better, you make them more professional, but they don't give you almost anything back. So if you have that budget for training them, then go for it. But in general, I would suggest to these people, they need to train somewhere else. There are many places for that. They can work in open source, they can go for some other projects which with lower budgets. I don't know, there are many places, schools, uh, Different, different areas. But if your project is serious and you want to do microtasking and you want to get the result, then get rid of, you know, get rid of two, two junior programmers. Point number seven, and it's eight in total, so I have two more points to cover. Point number seven, uh, again, my experience telling me that um, if tasks have too expensive dependencies, and I'll explain you what it means, then the microtasking is not going to work. One expensive dependency is, for example, a customer. So if you give a task to somebody and that task involves communicating with the customer and getting requirements from the customer or uh, delivering the result to the customer and making sure the customer is happy, 
then microtasking is going to be difficult because you cannot, uh, you cannot, uh, you cannot afford the luxury of terminating the conversation with the customer and saying, look, we're going to get back to you when we have the new task. You can do it with the Java code, but you cannot do it with the customer. So the customer is on the phone and then the guy who is talking to the customer says, yeah, okay, my time is over. I'll call you tomorrow. It's not going to work. Because that, that dependency is too expensive. The customer is quite expensive thing. Or, for example, you work with, um, uh, with some equipment which is expensive. So you cannot just go to some expensive you know, uh, server place where this, this hosting uh, provider and you need to, to stay there for a whole day doing something. You cannot go there every day for a few hours because it's you know, too expensive to get that machines, to get the permission to enter there, to do all that stuff. So you need some some other approach. You need just free time with a free budget, with a with the ability to work for as long as you want. So then you go to macro tasking, just a traditional way of management. Because, because like I said, you cannot terminate every time you talk to the customer. You cannot stop using the expensive computers. You can stop using some expensive devices, resources, whatever. So in that case, I would suggest to say, okay, it's no micro tasking again, just 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 here is your responsibility. I trust you. Spend as much time as you want. Just get that thing done. And then you go for micromanagement. Then you keep calling that person and say, okay, did you talk to the customer? What did the customer say? Okay, are you going to call him now? No. Okay, when are you going to call him? That story. You, you do the traditional micromanagement. And the last point is microtasking doesn't work when it's a question of firefighting. Meaning that if something goes really wrong, it's an, it's an urgency, it's an, it's an emergency, and you need to do something right now, then you basically don't have time to define that microtasks, to define the task, to say who's responsible, what are going to be the exit criteria, who's going to accept the task, what are the rules. We just forget all the rules and just go and fix the problem. So if your server is down in the middle of the night, then you just go and fix the server. Then, next day, you you analyze that, you do some kind of retrospective, you analyze why that happened, who is guilty, why all of a sudden in the middle of the night the server goes down and we need to firefight. That's going to be after. But when something goes wrong, you know, forget the microtasking, forget all the management and go back to micromanagement. I, I, I've been telling that many times that micromanagement is a perfect way of management if it's a war situation, if it's a fight situation. In the war, when it's time to attack uh, the enemy, there are people sitting in these trenches and then it's time to, to, to go up and run forward. There's no way to, you know, to define responsibilities and trust somebody. We don't trust anybody. The commander just says run it, takes everybody and they go forward. It's a micromanagement. The commander, the officer says exactly what to do to each soldier. And if the soldier doesn't do that, then the soldier is probably going to be shot or whatever. So. This is the perfect moment for micromanagement, but you cannot manage a software team in that, in that mode for a long time. You can do it for a few hours, maybe for a few days, yes, but then people get tired. You can't attack you know, every day, like even in the war. So you do it for, for, for a few days and then maybe for a few weeks and then people get completely exhausted because they, they, can't, they, can't, um, they can't survive in these conditions. The same for the software team, the software people. But when it's firefighting, Turn off all the management approaches and do micromanagement. That's the perfect moment. That's what I wanted to say. Um, 
And now I'll list a few things which I think is not a problem for, micro, for microtasking. Because people were telling me many times like, hey, it's not going to work because of this, because, because I don't think that's true. So I'll list a few things which I think is not a problem at all. First of all, is programming language. It doesn't matter what language it is, you can do microtasking. I tried seven different languages. Absolutely no, 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 no difference. Second, uh, vague requirements, unclear requirements. People are saying, look, our requirements are so unclear and we need to talk to the customer so many times. We don't exactly know what we're developing. What microtasking are you talking about? We're just one big, you know, one big chaotic management, which we just, we're just happy that we're still alive. What kind of management are you talking about? I don't think it's, it's, it's applicable. I think no matter how vague requirements are, we still can do micromanagement. We've been microtasking, sorry. So we've been doing microtasking in different projects and some of them really had unclear vague requirements when nobody knew what it's gonna finish with and what we actually need to develop. It was completely total experimenting, all the, the whole project for, for half a year, just experimenting. And still we were doing microtasking. Another point, business domain. Someone told me that, look, we're working in so secure situation that we have so many requirements for the security, for the quality, for everything. So we cannot do your microtasking. We need to do traditional management. Again, we've been working with one project which was quite sensitive, credit card payment transactions. And we were doing exactly that with all the critical PCI DSS certification. No problem at all. So I don't think business domain applies here. Microtasking is applicable to any business domain. Next one, size of the project. Again, someone told me that our project is so big or someone said so small or just two people. Well, actually, there are two people, two programmers, but still, I'm doing microtasking for a few of my projects when I'm alone. So I'm just myself and I'm doing microtasking for myself. I just break down the, the, the full scope into small pieces and I implement it myself. So big project or small project, doesn't matter. And final point, the age of the project. Someone, like many times I hear that we have a huge legacy code, so forget the microtasking. We just sometimes need to sit for a, for a month trying to understand how one particular module works and then we dig deep down and, and dig information from there and then we put pieces together and finally it works. So what kind of microtasking? Again, we had that situations before and it's not a problem. You, just, you can always find a way to break down the problem into smaller, into smaller problems. Again, I'm not going to explain how. It's probably a subject for a different discussion, but it is possible. So that's what I wanted to say for now about microtasking. I listed probably all the things which could be your uh, blocks and um, problems on your way to microtasking. I think we need to go there. I think we need microtasking. The question is, do we, need enough, do we have enough tools for that? Do we have enough experience for that? Do we have enough courage for that? Do we have enough power, management power, authority to implement that? That's questions for the future. I'm, as you know, I'm working on the Xerocracy project, which is going to help many people to do that. It's going to be launched quite soon, quite soon. Just stay tuned. Uh, I, will, I will let you know as soon as it's, it's available. And that will, that will be the platform, that will be a solution which will help small, initially small and mid-sized teams and then maybe in the future bigger teams to, to, to implement microtasking in their projects in the right way. Okay, that's it for now. Thanks for listening. See you next week. It's every Monday. Bye-bye. Uh,